Happy New Year, and welcome to the Ewang Bang podcast review of Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. This is the second movie installment of the Star Wars sequel trilogy, and continues right after the events of The Force Awakens. Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, Adam Driver, and Oscar Isaac reprise their roles as Rey, Finn, Kylo Ren, and Poe Dameron. The film also features the return of the late Carrie Fisher as Leia Organa and Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker. Now, this movie has been met with some mixed reviews, so Jeff and I thought we'd share some thoughts as well. Enjoy! Hey, what's going on? Thanks for tuning in to the Wang Bang Podcast, everyday commentary by everyday people. This is your host, Emil Wang, and I'm joined as usual by my very good friend, founder of the YouTube channel Norso, Mr. Jeffrey Liu. How's it going, man? It's going well, man. It's going well. So before we get into our review of The Last Jedi, I wanted to go back to Episode 7, The Force Awakens, which was the movie released two years ago, which essentially kicked off this whole new trilogy of Star Wars films. The events obviously take place many years after the events of Return of the Jedi. Luke Skywalker, Leia, Han Solo have aged quite a bit, and there's just this new there's new generation of characters that are introduced. Um now, I don't need to go into the events of the actual film, but I, what I do want to start off with were some of the questions that came up during the film that we were essentially left guessing about for the next two years prior to the release of The Last Jedi. Some of these questions for me, for me included, what happened to the New Republic after the events of Return of the Jedi? How was the Empire able to remain in power when the Rebels had seemingly destroyed the whole Empire and had established the New Republic? Um, a second question that kind of ties into that is, who is Supreme Leader Snoke? He's some kind of Jedi, but there's no real backstory of who he is or how he came to power or how he was able to get influence over Kylo Ren. Two of the other major questions that come up are who are Ray's parents? And also one that's a little less investigated is, is Finn some kind of Jedi? So I, after watching The Force Awakens, Episode 7, I was left with these four questions. Jeff, I don't know if you have any uh, additional ones. No, I mean, those were basically the questions that I came out of that movie with. Um, you know, there, there were a couple of other things that, you know, kind of popped in here and there. But, I, I mean, that's just kind of what I figured would be covered as the trilogy went on. So those were the those were the primary ones that I wanted answered when we started uh, The Last Jedi. Right, right. And now jumping into The Last Jedi, we're going to start with these issues and then go into other aspects of the story. But one of my biggest problems with The Last Jedi, and, and I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say this was an absolute deal breaker for me regarding this movie. This movie had a lot of other problems with it. But one of the, uh, one of the issues that, that came up were, I don't think any of these questions were answered to any level of satisfaction. I feel like a lot of the, I feel like a lot of these questions were brought up even from 
the trailers of um, Episode 7, which date back, you know, three years now, have been, you know, have been asking these questions. And really, I mean, let, let's let's talk about Snoke. What happens to him? He just gets cut up by a lightsaber. That's it, right? Ray's parents, you're told that they're just nobody, which, by the way, I don't. I don't believe that's the case. I, I still think in the in neither the last, do I. Neither yeah, do I. I think in the last film they're gonna they're going to uh, they're gonna address that. But I'm gonna take that for face value for now. Um, and then the, the New Republic uh, or the events of uh, or how the Empire maintained control like that is not resolved at all. Like they they don't talk about you know. Like they don't go back into you know any of the struggles of you know Leia trying to become trying to be this commander in the New Republic and failing for whatever reason, or you know or how Luke Skywalker's Jedi Academy tied into the fall or or the um, unsuccessful rise of the New Republic. None of this is investigated, so it almost seems like the events of the original trilogy didn't accomplish anything. I mean that that's kind of the the whole theme of this movie, though. I mean, every time that you saw a trailer in this movie and actually when you got into The Last Jedi itself, you know, the most iconic uh, phrase that was uttered was, uh, you know, forget the past, kill, like, let it die, kill it if you have to. And everybody's been saying that that's kind of a, you know, uh, it's a poke at The Last Trilogy. It's a poke at uh, The Force Awakens because uh, Ryan Johnson was the one who uh, took over this middle movie in the trilogy and J.J. Abrams was the one who, who had the reins on the first one. And I, I sit and, and I think, and I sit here and I'm thinking like, you know, they're like Star Wars for me has a aspect of it that's kind of untangible. You know, there, there's a feeling when you go and watch a Star Wars movie that, you know, you, you want to have a little bit of mysticism in it. You don't want everything to be explained literally to you, you know, but, and, and you have this legacy that it's following for so long. And yeah, you know, you can keep some stuff in suspense until we know the trilogy is over, but it's a complete other thing entirely to take the second movie in a trilogy and basically, uh, like Hit pull the, the rug button. out. Yeah. It, hit the reset button again. You know, this doesn't feel like the second movie in the trilogy. This feels like the first movie all on its own again. And, you know, for as much as we got to know, uh, you know, Ray, as much as we got to know Finn, as much as we got to know Poe Dameron, I feel as though we kind of are re-meeting all of these characters for better or for worse all over again in this movie. And I think that's an issue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, it almost seems like they, they posed all these questions and then just did like a like and they said oh let's just forget about that like uh, yeah no, no, fuck that like you know let's let's switch up the character relationships as well because that you know that that didn't mean anything or or even the significance of characters like Poe in the Force Awakens like Poe Dameron really did not have that much of a role right he was kind of major in the beginning and then he just disappears for the rest of the movie and then flies an X wing at the end right he he's basically like the Wedge and Tillies of, you know, your your episodes. Uh, Wedge uh, and Tillies, <laughs> baby. Right. He's just like – he's a side character. You you take him for face value and that's it. But for whatever reason, he becomes so much more important in this one. Like he has his own storyline in, you know, on the ship. And then they add in additional characters. They add in Laura Dern to be this hard-ass general who, you know – 
plays a significant role and then just, you know, that meets her doom, right? But, but what you're saying is exactly on the point that they, they did let it all die. They, they did, you know, cut ties from the past. And ironically, the only character that they let live is Leia, who, as we all know, Carrie Fisher has already passed on. So, um, I'm, I'm, I am curious how they're going to tie her into it. I mean, she might just be kind of, she might, like, my guess is she just dies in the first five minutes of the next film as kind of like the la- the final send-off to the original series. Right. Um, and, I mean, I, I think the other thing is is that when we watched uh, The Force Awakens for the first time, part of the reason we got so invested in it was because we got to see everybody have interactions with one another. Like, one of the strongest aspects of The Force Awakens was the development of Ray and Finn's relationship with one another. Um, you know, it kind of started off as a Han and Leia relationship, and, and you know, Finn being this kind of, like, uh, I mean, not not necessarily brash, but kind of like a uh, a rogue, you know, coming into Ray's life, pretending to know, you know, his way around things just because he used to be a stormtrooper. And Ray being, you know, kind of the um, headstrong, we all expected her to be some sort of princess, and that may still be the thing. But that dynamic was was one of the things that was familiar to us, and it, it's it's something that we kind of. Uh, held on to when we were watching The Force Awakens because we were like, you know what? I know this is new. I know this is a new cast of characters, but this is familiar and this is kind of what I wanted to see. I want to see this new generation of heroes. I want to see the interaction between them. And I think the problem that we kind of bring into The, For- uh, into the Last Jedi is that we don't see those interactions almost at all. You know, um, John Boyega and uh, and uh, Oscar Isaac, you know, they had a they had a very, very good rapport in um, The Force Awakens as well. And they spend the entire movie basically apart. You know, um, Finn goes off on his own adventure. Finn's relationship with, with Ray isn't explored at all because they're off on their own adventures as well. And I, I just felt as though, like, it was kind of disjointed because we didn't get to see any more. Uh, of these relationships developed, these were kind of three separate solo, um, solo quests, I guess, to, to help them develop on their own. But I don't think that the quests were, you know, fully developed enough that they, you got to see enough of each other's, uh, enough of these characters alone to justify putting it together in a film like this. Right, right. And, and this kind of ties into my next point. What was actually accomplished in the film in terms of, you know, character development, right? Like who, who would you say actually developed as a character with maybe Ray? I mean, to be, to be quite honest, I, like, when, when I saw Kylo Ren for the first time <laughs> in the, in The Force Awakens, I had the same jokes as everybody. You know, I really did. I saw him and I was just like, oh my God, you know, who took the, like, the, the Fallout Boy fan and put him into, like, a, a Star <laughs> Wars movie? You know, like, and, and that's coming from a Fallout Boy fan. But in any case, I mean, like, the, the stereotype was there. You know, he just seemed like an emotional teenager, very erratic. And I honestly think that when he did the SNL episode with the undercover the boss. Undercover boss, yeah, um, that was awesome. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God, that was hilarious. And it, it served, like, a lot to help soften the character for me to kind of like feel a little bit of pity for him to feel, you know, like the conflict within him. But I think that in this movie, Kylo Ren had 
a great deal of development in the first and second act. And then they kind of took it all in the third act and they threw it all away. And that's, that kind of really made me upset because if anything you wanted to have Kylo Ren's, you know, put onto the path of redemption, put onto the path of like confusion to second guess himself, you know, to, to like, to, to have that like conflict within him really blossom. But he, he chose to go about it in such an aggressive way at the end and in, in such a similar way as he went about killing Han Solo in the first movie that you're just like, so he still hasn't learned his lesson. Like he may be a very powerful force user. He may be the new supreme leader, but inside he's still a child. He hasn't developed at all. You know, like he still doesn't have any, any person or any, any like philosophy guiding him. He's still lost and, He's still acting out like a kid and you, you, you kind of take all of that and you're just like, well, then this is, this is again, this is like every other character arc in this movie. It's a throwaway arc because nothing gets developed. Well, I, I guess to, to that point, it, it, what set him off was the fact that Daisy, you know, uh, Ray wouldn't join him, right? I mean, I, I think he was conflicted and, you know, he wanted to go one way and, you know, she wanted to go to the other and she didn't, Join him, he became, uh, you know, a, an extreme version of, of, you know, one of the paths that he decided to choose, right? And, and it's kind of but, similar to episode three where, you know, uh, who plays Anakin? I, Hayden Christensen. Hayden Christensen, right? So he's having some dialogue yeah. with, with Natalie Portman. You know, he's yeah. saying like, he, you know, Anakin, you're worked, breaking my heart. <laughs> you are tearing me apart, Anakin. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> I, I think it, maybe it's kind of like a, a almost a, a tribute to that or or just kind of to, to show that the, the Skywalker bloodline is just, you know, always going to be fucked with, you know, with, with women turning them down. I don't think the Skywalker line is a particularly stable line, but like you had you, you develop stability in Luke and Leia, you know? You, you had Anakin who was crazy and maybe crazy skips a generation, but like in terms of movie, like in terms of making a movie, like Anakin Skywalker in the first trilogy was almost universally panned. Like it, like Hayden Christensen's performance was not, you know, celebrated by the fans. It wasn't celebrated by the critics. Nobody saw that performance. Nobody saw that portrayal of, you know, one of the most powerful people in the world to be you know, even remotely sympathetic. When you see him as Vader, like, he's not even that emotional. You know, he's cruel, he's unrelenting, but he has purpose. You know, and, and that's what makes Vader a compelling character. When you see these, like, people, when, when you see these young men, really, like young throwing men, tantrums. it's disheartening to watch. It's kind of like watching a little kid, you know, uh, who whose parents didn't give him a candy it, like when they're checking out of the supermarket, it's that sort of feeling. It, it honestly is. Like I look at, I look at it whenever Kylo Ren throws a tantrum, and you know I could have, I, I could forgive the first movie because I'm just like, okay, you're setting up the character in extreme way so that the redemption can be that much more satisfying. But it's not because you, you go back to the same line. You know, it's like I, I don't want to watch the the gradual like 
onset of like years and years passing by and Kylo finally coming to mature maturity. You know, this is a movie and it's a long fucking movie at that. And you have all this time and you give Kylo the chance to play the middleman. Like when he's having the conversations with Ray, like um, through the force telepathy, he shows a middle side. He shows a gray area. He shows the ability to speak without rage, uh, to speak calmly with somebody that he empathizes with and to throw that all away when like an opportunity strikes him. I mean, it's not like he killed Ray, you know, it's the, it's it, like it, it, the, the thought of ruling the universe with Ray didn't, didn't cross his mind until the very end, until he realized it was there. So, I, I mean, it, it kind of undermines the entire path that they were on. And that, that kind of reflects the path that this movie took us on, that it had, a lot of promise and made a, a, it made like a lot of it made me super excited when I was seeing the trailer because I was just like my my questions are going to get answered and then they just didn't follow through in the third act at all like with, with anything yeah it, it is a silly like a little bit silly that he just you know the moment where you know hologram Luke comes out and he just bombards them with all the artillery that the Imperials uh, have yeah you know that was like it was so extreme and I think it was almost thrown in there as a humor element more than you know kind of a like a reflection of the character and we'll get into the humor portion in, in a second but um you, you're right that it was it, it, it took kylo ren right back to where he was in the beginning of the force awakens you know a kid right. with all this power and uh with a kid with all all this unchecked power and i guess now he's even more unchecked because you know supreme's Supreme Leader Snoke is dead, um, which, by the way, we aren't given the answer to the question, who the fuck is he? Um, yeah. You know, and we're never like, I don't see how they would even why they would even bother answering that question. in The third one, I, I think they're, you know, they just kind of let that plot line die on, on the topic of, you know, that Luke's kind of final scene. Do you think Luke? was given justice i mean if you think about it, his appearance at force awakens almost doesn't really count he just stands there right so yeah. it's it's 19 uh what uh return of the jedi came out in 1983 i think and we're now in yeah. um, 2018 so 35 years have gone by since you know luke skywalker since mark hamill has spoken as luke skywalker right so many fans have been left in anticipation for for this moment what do you think or how do you think the character played out do you do you think luke skywalker was was portrayed fairly did they tie up his story arc well did they even need to try to tie up his story arc should it have mattered or do you think having him as this kind of almost as as this yoda character was sufficient i i think they did luke dirty um, I, I really do. I mean, like they, they raw dogged him. <laughs> I mean, it it, it kind of sucks because, like, it. You know, you got the impression from Mark Hamill that he was upset with with what uh they wanted to do with his character in The Force Awakens. Um, and you know, you you saw that from the onset of of like when some of the promotional material was coming out and when some of the early shoots were. Were, uh, were were being not not released, but some some of the early scenes were being um, completed with uh, Mark Hamill's character, and Mark Hamill bought into this. You know, like Mark Hamill 
is one of the biggest nerds that like you, you can meet. He's one of the best. I, I want to guess like brand ambassadors to, to the Star Wars franchise. Like if you had a question about how Luke would react to something, Mark Hamill would be the guy to ask about it. It wouldn't be some super fan with some, you know, like weird encyclopedic knowledge of a random character in Star Wars canon. It would be Mark Hamill. You would, you would go to the source to, to find that. And when I heard that uh, he was unsatisfied with his portrayal of the character, I was very scared because, you know, to me, Mark Hamill is, is it, you know, like if you don't get the Mark Hamill seal of approval, then you might as well rewrite them really. And, and, and that's, that's really not an exaggeration. Um, I think he, he really is that, that, intricately tied to the character that he played. And when you come here and you have him lose hope, that's fine. But to have him lose hope and change completely, like uh, like Mark Hamill when he was in the first three movies as Luke Skywalker was always a hopeful character. He always was an idealistic character, you know, and even as he grew, even as he was tempted by the dark side, he he still maintained that kind of vigor, that kind of like passion for for what he does, and to see Luke as a broken man, and and really to only be driven by one one event in his life, and and honestly seeing the cautionary tale that his what that was his father in uh, Darth Vader and everything like that, it, it's a little bit hard to stomach that he could change so much in such like really a limited period of time. You know, 30 years is not, is not a huge amount of time for you. You know, and you can say what you will about, you know, allowing Kylo to lose his way and, and being tempted by, by the dark side. Like what I don't think that I like, I mean, an aspect of this movie that really bothered me was that he became the self-appointed guardian of these texts for the Jedi that we never heard about, you know, like, Unless you had read the novels, you don't know what these no- you don't know what these books are. You don't know what that like great tree is, and, and and you you kind of put him into this position as like the guardian of this old religion. And I mean, he didn't learn it this way, you know. He didn't learn like um, being a Jedi through whatever old Jedi Bible um, existed, you know. Like he didn't read the text or anything like that. He he was a I don't know, a more on the ground Jedi. He got trained by Obi-Wan for a few days. He got trained by Yoda for a few days. And then, you know, I can only assume that the force spirits taught him the rest, you know, but he never like, he wasn't old enough to be as wise as Yoda. He didn't go through enough to be as wise as Yoda. He never took place, took his place in space politics. He, he never really explored the force beyond like the conflict that was directly in front of him. So he never really rose to that level. He was just a man that like changed Darth Vader in his darkest moment and, you know, brought balance to the force. It, it, it's, it's a dichotomy. He, he's an iconic character, but he doesn't fulfill every other role. He shouldn't fill the role of the master because we've never really seen him that way. And to see himself doubt himself towards the end of the movie, towards the end of this movie, like the end of the second act of this movie and like, and be so conflicted and to have the ghost of Yoda come out, it, it was just cheap to me. Like I, there's no reason Yoda should have been there really 
for like for as much as they wanted to kill the past, they sure had a like had a a habit of bringing it up in like all these characters. And mm-hmm. you know, like Yoda really served no purpose. Like Yoda oh, came yeah, out and not. then like yeah, yeah, yeah uh, like he came it. out and and then he destroyed the library that like Luke was still conflicted on. What does that say about Luke? That means like Luke, even in his older age, even in like you know in teaching Ray during those couple of days, like really hasn't learned anything. He still can't make a decision. He still can't take accountability for the actions that led to the creation of Kylo Ren. You, you sit there and it's just like, man, they really watered down Luke. They made Luke this like powerless individual until like the very end of the movie and. There's no, there's no grace period. There's no transition. There's no like seamless, like if anybody needed a gradual arc to develop again, it was Luke because he's, you, you know that he's getting towards the end at this point. Daisy, Daisy, I mean, I'm sorry. Ray, Ray has time to develop. Ray is a young Jedi, you know, she has potentially another movie to, to, to develop, but you need like Luke to come around and come around fast. You can't play this back and forth game. You can't play the Kylo Kylo Ray give and take game with him anymore. You need him to reach a resolution. You need it to be decisive. Yeah, so that happens super fast. Yeah, and that's why I think they did Luke dirty. And this like, and at the very end, that forced telepathy like that was garbage. Like it was so cheap to me because he appears on this mineral planet after like the rebels have been trying to get there for such a long time and then just shows up and like and like has his force hologram talk to leia too like come on now i mean if like decide if you're making a hollywood spectacle where you get like all those nostalgic characters together again and have them like force them to have a scene together you know force mark hamill and carrie fisher to have a scene together because you have this story that doesn't allow allow it and then, and then try and like tie up the rest of your movie with it. I don't think that's, I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's fair to, to, to Mark. I don't think that's fair to how you do Luke Skywalker either. Like, why, why did he have to die at the end? That made no sense to me. That made no sense to me. This is the first time that you've seen this force power in use before in the movie, you know? Like, you know, I, I've never, I've never seen like force holographic projection across a galaxy before, like, you know, specifically to fight off like a couple of, you know, at ats. And, and you're sitting there and you're just like, dude, like, if this was really the case, then, and, and, and Jedi's could have done this, then why did they fight the Clone Wars in episode two? It's just like, it, it shat on the history that has made Star Wars. It basically said, we can't make this happen where, Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher have a scene together, so we have to give Mark Hamill a new superpower. And I think that's garbage. I think that's lazy writing. Yeah, they also gave uh, Leia a new Jedi superpower, which is fly and, through and space exactly and not die. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, le- they did Leia dirty, too. I mean, honestly, Leia, like, if they had just let the bridge explode and Leia die like that, that would have been, like, Wow. That, you know, that would have been crazy. You know, like, and, and even if, like. And Akbar's all... dead too, by the way. And, and, like, and, a major? Yeah, and they, and they did Admiral Akbar dude, dirty. I guarantee you they're gonna, like, if, if Ryan Johnson had his way, they would have done Chewbacca dirty too. Like, it, it doesn't make any sense to me why you're throwing these characters away. It, it does not make any sense to me. Okay, and, and the other thing too is that, yes, Leia, 
you know, the, it was it was implied that Leia was force sensitive at some point. You know? But to like again to have her like develop this power out of nowhere. I mean, it just goes to show you that you either had people in in this in the writing room that really just did not care about the extensive lore in in the Star Wars universe. Like they they just didn't give a damn. They would just be like, the force is whatever we want it to be, you know? And and then just and just made it like that. Or or you had people who like knew what it was and said, screw it. The force is evolving to like cater to a new generation. The force is like wish giving now. You know, you can do whatever you want with it. I I kind of disagree because I I think the point of this movie and this is this actually goes into my like column of uh, of the film was that they the point was that the Jedi had to die because it yeah and I like this line that Luke delivers is that it, it's very very arrogant to think that one group of people can harness can harness the Force right it should be something oh, that everybody else and and I think that might have been like kind of what they were hinting at with um. With Leia, you know, being able to use it. Granted, she is a Skywalker, but you know, keep in mind that in Rogue One, Donnie Yen was not a Jedi, right? But he was a believer no, he was in the not. Force. Yeah, and he, he was, was a believer. Sensitive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So, so the groundwork has already been kind of laid out in in Rogue One. I think that anybody can really use the Force, um, but I, I think you capping you know having limitations on those horsepowers is important and you know surprising surprising fans with you know super you know superman flying through space and you know hologram projections of yourself is is kind of sloppy and and basically just like a means to kind of push the story forward right it's a a deus it's a deus ex like it's it's just it's it serves no other purpose it comes out of nowhere for for the purposes of driving the story forward, right? Or or getting a reaction out of the audience, like people like in the audience, yeah. when they found out Luke was a uh, was a hologram. Everyone clapped him. It's like, oh shit! Like Luke totally trolled Kylo Ren. It's like, yeah, but <laughs> I mean, that there's no there's no creativity to that. Yeah. it's just like I, I just. It, it was it was cheap. It was sloppy. Um, yeah, I, I yeah. totally agree with you. Uh, going back to the yeah. character of Luke, you know, I was kind of this um, old man. I, I feel like he was. They, they tried to play the card of almost like a dead, like the Deadpool, like fourth dimension. Like it, it's it's kind of like tongue in cheek, like where it's like I'm old, like I don't care, like uh, yeah, I I. I I wasn't a fan, and I I think you know I, I thought it would have been hilarious if at some point Mark Hamill just like in, in one like kind of comedic monologue he he just breaks into the Joker voice. The Joker <laughs> voice, yeah, yeah, where he'd be like, "Or did you expect me to be like this?" <laughs> Hello, Kylo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I thought that would have been like, you know, it would have been like a very funny, like self-aware sort of joke. And, and that would have that would have fit right in to what they were kind of trying to do with Luke, you know, just kind of make him like this self-aware, like grizzled veteran who's given up hope, you know, almost, you know, almost exactly like Logan. Actually, when I, and this is one thing that I thought about when I watched the movie, I was like, he is basically Logan. That that doesn't fight, 
right? He, he's just a, a guy who's just seen too much shit that like, you know, that, and he comes at you with all these sarcastic quips and all that. But uh, on the topic of humor, because this is something that was talked about a lot, uh, this movie got a lot of shit for, you know, the, the kind of humor that they were going for. Um, you know, the, the sarcastic tones that, you know, Luke would, would deliver. Um, you know, there's that Poe moment where he's talking to that, uh, that Star Destroyer where he's like, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for the captain. Yeah, just moments like that. I mean, people didn't like it because they felt like it was too, you know, Avengers, Avengers-y, you know, kind of humor. We did. Yeah, weed and humor. Yeah, you're kind of like awkward. Like it's out, it's out of place. It's like modern day sar- sarcasm humor. It's like high school high school like sarcastic humor, but you put it in, you know, like a fat like a space opera. You know, like you know, it worked in um, Firefly and Serenity, right? That that sort of humor. But I I think when you think about Star Wars, maybe just the expectation is is different. You know, the feel is different. One of the things that I wrote down was actually, you know, a lot of the emotions that you're supposed to get from Star Wars is cued by music, right? Even, like, comedic, lighthearted elements like, you know, Ewoks, right? When you have the Ewoks running around Return of the Jedi, you always kind of have this, like, lighthearted music. Or, like, you know, the Moss Eisley Cantina, the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Like... You hear that music, and in your mind, you're already picturing, like, drunken you're, bar brawls, right? You're, and you're taken like, there. Yeah, exactly. Right, right, exactly. And so when all this humor is delivered with no music, it's just out of place, right? In any other film, I think it would be it would be funny. It would be, you know, it, it would when delivered the right way it would be you know it'd be received well but i I just think for star wars it was just so out of place that i i can see why people didn't like it it doesn't hurt to try something new i guess and maybe that was kind of the overarching theme of the film but um i i I feel like all the jokes landed it just was kind of out of place for a star wars film you know i don't i don't wholly agree that that the jokes landed i think that I think that the first, because the Poe Dameron jokes were right on the onset, and if the entire tone of the movie hadn't been the way that it was, where they were trying to interject these jokes in, you know, like everywhere, it would have been kind of fresh. Because, you know, that would go to show you that Poe Dameron is kind of the Han Solo of this movie, you know, like the, the devilish rogue with, you know, no, no, no bearing towards authority, and you kind of, you kind of, gently transitioned it into like a modern day modern day feel you know like you, you give you give it kind of a little bit of new guts and new a new coat of paint on it so that the new generation doesn't feel completely like um ignored in this like long-standing film series that being said you're still dealing with a space opera there there are levels to this Star Wars goes back to the 70s and there's a legacy there. There there is a long-standing history there. And if you want to touch it up, that's great. But I I think that Star Wars has good enough material to stand on its own, that it's a quality enough product that people watching it in the new generation don't need it to be like all gussied up in like like millennial talk or or whatever it is nowadays, you know, millennial humor or the sarcastic humor or the dry humor or whatever. You don't need to fundamentally change everything about it. You, I mean, like 
I think that Ray and Finn and Poe Dameron, like they, they, they kind of feel familiar and that they're, they're sort of like the original cast. They have that charisma. They have that it factor that like really makes you want to watch them. You know, Oscar Isaac is phenomenal. I think John Boyega is, is phenomenal. When you look at them, like when, when you watch them, you're just like, man, like I believe it. These guys are such good characters. They're such good character roles and they have something special about them. But when you try, like, and, and that, that itself should be sufficient to carry it. And, and once you like kind of bastardize that with, you know, what is in at the moment, you know, you kind of draw away the reverence to, to the seriousness and tone of, of everything that's here. And the other thing is, is that like, there are certain times where this sort of humor works. And oftentimes that's when you have brightly colored heroes and villains, like in, in star spangled outfits and ridiculous costumes. And you're just like, wow, they're popping one liners at each other. This is great. You know, and the stakes are like something that you can conceive of because it's your world. As much as we want this to be our world, it isn't. It's a completely different like realm. Like the culture is different. And to try and say like, Oh, our humor is easily translatable into like whatever their culture is. I think again, that's kind of lazy, you know, because then you're not thinking of jokes that like would fit there. So I don't, I didn't appreciate the humor like on, on as much of a scale as, as it was implemented into the film. Yeah. I, you know, honestly, I, I was like, they're, they're going to make some kind of Instagram or like, you know, Twitter joke in this film. Yeah. If, yeah. And, money's on the that they're going to do it in the last one they they're going to do yeah. some kind of like social media thing where like at that point I'm i believe like, all right, yeah yeah it, it's a whole new <laughs> it, sh- uh, it jumped a shark <laughs> yeah yeah really jumped a shark exactly but the last thing i wanted to get into was the lightsaber battles i this should have this had the potential to to be one of the greatest lightsaber sequences ever Right. You're talking about the red room, right? Yeah, yeah, the red room. Um, you know, both from a visual, from a you know a choreo like like a Style. blocking yeah. to like yeah, choreography, yeah. like all Stylistic. of it. Yeah, it it had the potential for it to be like fucking phenomenal. And lightsaber battles have been going on since 1977. It is a 41 year old art, and it drives me fucking bonkers. That they cannot come up with a better, like, a better way to make this look good than, like, it, it looks like, like, shitty, like, stage fighting for, like, a production of Hamlet. It, it's just so, like, over the top, like, motions. It, it, there's nothing, like, graceful about it, nothing quick, nothing practical about how they use these lightsabers, right? It looks like they're wielding, like, you know, 10 foot long blades or something. Yeah. I, yeah, and to think that, you know, in in the 41 years that, you know, people have been obsessed with lightsaber duels, have been recreating their own in, in their own fan fiction. Have been There's leagues. There's leagues yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. And people have been recreating this. People filmed themselves in garages trying to use lightsabers. <laughs> yeah, there's been lightsaber toys. Like, it, it's just remarkable that they have not 
been able to come up with one good lightsaber fight scene. This might be the best one that they've ever done, but but that's nope. that's not saying much because the bar's just been set so low. And in the age where you have such creative action, you know, like in the raid, in in you know Ongbak, you know John Wick, like all of these things, like you can't work in any other kind of action. You know, and the most creative that they could come up with was Ray, you know, tossing the lightsaber from one hand to the other, and then like Kylo Ren just turning the lightsaber on in somebody's face. Like that, that is the extent of their creativity with lightsabers. They, it, that's all they could come up with in 40 years. Like, we gotta come up with a lightsaber, like, battle. You know what? I, I gotta say, if there was one thing that the Phantom Menace did well, <laughs> oh, the the, the duel, uh, the the Darth Maul, uh... yeah, Darth Maul duel at the very end with uh, Liam Neeson and um, Ray Park and uh, Ewan McGregor, that is still one of the best lightsaber like sword fighting scenes that like of recent memory. I you know like I I still think that that was like one of the most and probably one of the only quality lightsaber um, duel scenes that I've ever seen. And the reason that is, is because you have Ray Park in there who is just an amazing martial artist. Um, and you have him as a central character, not as some, you know, generic, uh, you know, sub boss in, you know, like, like one of the crimson, one of Snoke's, Crimson Guards. Um, I, I think the problem that we have, because they had a good choreographer here. They, they flew a choreographer from, from Hong Kong. Uh, before I went to watch uh, The Last Jedi, I, I watched all the training videos with um, with Daisy Ridley and with uh, with Adam Driver. And, uh, you know, Adam Driver was a, was a former Marine. So he, he moves with purpose. I actually like watching him fight because it's just, it's very aggressive, you know, it's very aggressive, it's very strength based. You can see that like he has some martial ability there. It's not graceful, it's not graceful like Ray Park, it's not graceful like Kung Fu, but like there is like a, a purpose to the movements that he's making. Daisy, Daisy Ridley on the other hand, I mean like, I, I really like Daisy Ridley as an actress, but um, she does not have her her action chops down yet, you know, from, from when she was practicing with the lightsaber to when she's firing a blaster or anything like that, she just looks kind of awkward, you know, and it's not, and, and it's not like her physique or it's not anything like that. She, I mean, like, I think she looks athletic. I think she looks like a capable girl, you know, I just don't think that she has the, the movements down, you know, just quite yet. And I mean, I know that they spend quite a bit of time choreographing this, but it just becomes difficult. And I think a little bit of what it has to do with is the cinematography. Um, because I mean, you have, you have to shoot this very delicately because you have a lot of color clash, um, in this scene. And I, and I had the same sort of feeling like it's one, it's two on like, six or six or seven like crimson guard right and i was like oh man this could be like a phenomenal chance for daisy really to show off like maybe some staff skills that she learned and anything like that but like it ended up being just a very like 
kind of basic weapons training sort of choreography that that they use, and I, I think that's because they needed to compensate for like the lack of ability that you know either either Daisy Ridley had or um, like the uh, the limitations of the set uh, of like the fight stage that they had. You know, and and I agree with you that the end product was not satisfying. Like I I I would have I would have preferred like them to to give Daisy some like you know one on one training and have Adam Driver fight off like the massive crowds because he's been he he you know as Kylo Ren too he's the guy who's more combat trained. You know, Daisy Ridley literally had like three days on an island with Luke Skywalker and you know fought. Fu- and fought a rock, you know, like, uh, you know, and, and, and that, and that would be more believable, honestly, you know, that, that Daisy isn't combat trained, that, you know, most of the, most of the ability that she has would be able to hold her own against somebody who's like, you know, somewhat skilled in, in whatever the Jedi arts are. Um, but I think that a lot of what the focus was trying to push back and forth was that they were equals. And that's why Kylo Ren had this desire to, keep them together to keep them as rulers. So you kind of sacrifice like a good portion of this, of the action that, that, you know, again, I agree had an enormous potential here um, for, for more of like a, a, a storyline consideration. Yeah. The, the whole like Daisy or Ray being capable of the lightsabers is, is it's silly, unbelievable. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's un- yeah. Um, I want to wrap this up with just, you know, kind of overall impressions and thoughts and where should this uh, series go from here? Because does it end at episode nine or do you think that they have a whole other just they're just going to keep on rolling them out Avenger style or uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe style? You know, I I want to talk about the things that. I liked about this film and what they can build off of, which will mm-hmm. kind of like answer your question. Mm-hmm. I thought that the opening starfighter scene in this movie was awesome. great. You it know, it was incredible. They like Rogue One, same thing. Like all yeah. of these star, uh, the starfighter scenes. Like you, you would think that there isn't so much creativity in that, yeah. but man, they're so exciting. They're exciting to watch. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sitting yeah. and I sit there and I'm like and, and and you know this this is the sad part of it. Poe Dameron is wasted in this film. Like he's a fucking X-wing fighter, top gun, Tom Cruise like maverick like like star destroyer blasting badass, you know? And he's got a customized rig and all this other stuff, and they blow up his fucking ship in like the first thirty minutes of this film. I'm just like, the hell are you doing, man? You know, like get him in that fighter and have him shoot some more shit. Like that's like when 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 they jumped out of hyperspace for the first time, and like everybody was running to the hangar, and you see all these pilots everywhere all around, like giving thumbs up to one another and then getting loaded up and Kylo Ren comes out of fucking nowhere and blows up the entire hangar. I just like, no, you motherfucker, you're ruining it. You, you ruined everything. And like, I sit there and I'm just like, you know what? Like Poe Dameron, 
he's not a diplomat. He's not a commander. He's like, he's, he's fucking lightning in a jar. You know, you need to just throw him into like a, a, a situation and watch shit explode. I love Oscar Isaac in this fucking film. Like, it, like, just generally, and I think that his character is so wasted, which is a damn shame. Cause like, every moment that he's on screen is like, fuck, just say something more. Have more words come out of your fucking handsome mouth and put a fucking blaster in your hand and all this sort of stuff. Like, I love that shit. I love watching that shit. And honestly, like, when I was growing up, after like the first, after the Star Wars game started coming out, I watched the original trilogy a couple of times. You know, I started reading some of the, like, the, the novels and comic books that came out. And I read like X-Wing Quadrant and I was like, fuck, dude, this is the shit that you need to make a movie out of, you know? Like, you need to get like a whole bunch of crazy suicide squad type rebel people Put them in the fighter jets and have them run guerrilla missions on these fucking empire fools. Cause that is some shit that I would watch, you know? You have some like gritty ass, like fighter pilot, like, uh, like guerrilla warfare, like, you know, just picking the empire apart here and there. I would watch the hell out of that. And you kind of get like a taste of that in Rogue One. You know, you get like, uh, um, Ca- Captain, uh, oh, what's his fucking name? Diego, Diego Luna or whatever his name is. Dude, that guy was, that guy was, you know, like, he's kind of dark, he's, he's not uh, 100% ethical, but he gets the job done, you know, like, he has exciting fights, like, Rogue One's fights were exciting, when they, like, were, were drop bombing, um, the, the beachhead where they were staring the Death Star information, I was like, oh my god, this is, like, fucking great to watch, this is, this is shit that I will come back for, you know? And then you, you get, like, you get the the plot in 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 the last jedi and it's like oh our star our star cruisers are slowly being chased down by a like a fucking like group of people that just can't quite catch up to us you know like shit like ah, we can't get out of weapons range but yeah you know you know like they, they, it's like it's like when you're maintaining speed on the freeway and then there's that motherfucker that just won't change lanes behind you. Just like, just go around, bitch. Just like fucking go around. And like, I, I think that's an element of this movie that like, if you took that out, the pacing of this would spice up. You put Oscar Isaac and you like, you have him fight, you know, like, like take out, you know, like go and go and try and take out one of the destroyers again with, with what resources they have, you know, come up with a crazy plan to do what that sort of stuff is. That's the type of stuff that I want to watch. And if they make that sort of offshoot movie, I would watch the fuck out of that. If they make X-Wing Rose Squadron or like, you know, Poe Dameron, X-Wing Fighter or whatever like that, I'll go watch that movie. I'll go watch an Oscar Isaac standalone movie. I don't need you to bring in all the Skywalker politics. I don't need you to bring in like all the main cast on this. Give me a, a movie with BB-8 and fucking Poe Dameron and like, you got me. You got me for $14, you know? And, and, and that's, and that's really it. That, like, and I don't, like, with what they're doing here, they're, I know, I understand that Ryan Johnson was trying something new here, you know? But you gotta see where shit, like, stops at this point. Laura Dern, Laura Dern was fine, you know, like, she's a great actress. She had like, uh, a good character, but why the fuck is she dressed up like she's going to the fucking like Met Ball, like in the <laughs> middle of in the? You, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, yeah, I laughed when Leia, she came he, on screen. 
Yeah, I was just like, look, what, what the fuck is this? Why does this, like, lady have purple hairs? Like, she's human, obviously, you know? Like, she didn't grow that shit organically. It's like, oh, okay, this lady went and got her hair did before, you know, like, the space battle and shit like that. And the other thing, too, is, like, like one of the disappointing things I, I had about The Last Jedi here was just, like, dude, the fucking resistance at this case, like, at the end of the movie is, like, 30 people. Right? Like, like, this is the whole resistance. I'm like, motherfucker, dude, you got like thousands of people. Those are, jo- those are imperial jobs. Everybody on that motherfucker has a job right now. And you guys are just running away because you don't want to work for the government and shit. You know, like, at some point, at some point, you got to realize that the resistance is over. But they keep this hope alive. That like there's other pockets of resistance out there. I was like, those. I mean, none of them got your back. You you're stuck on this mineral mineral planet, and none of your boys are coming. You're dead. You know, like. So. Yeah, but I think that the the point of it was like you know with the little kid telling reenacting the story at the end, right? Because it was like that. it inspired hope, right? They they I, will get I there. Get I get that. I totally understand that. But that means like there's no adults. Wearing the fucking rebel ring. It's some little kid that like, you know, yes, grew up in the fucking star ghettos or whatever they want to call it. <laughs> and, and it's just like, I am, star I am unsatisfied. The, the, you know, the, the slums of like star Las Vegas or, you know, star, star Monte Carlo or whatever. And just like, I'm, I'm a rise up. I'm going to do something about this. And it, you're, you're just thinking like, okay, so. Now, every time somebody disagrees with the decisions of, like, the majority of the people out there, they're going to pick up a gun and fucking start shooting shit up. Like, that's, like, that's where I got, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's no, there's no context to this. So if you want to give me a Star Wars movie that has some context, like, oh, you know, like, uh, Alderaan 2 has, like, this really, you know, vibrant rebel movement with none of the main characters. And we got some Force-sensitive people in there. And then you do a standalone adventure and maybe develop some, like, of the expanded universe. Because right now the prime universe is 30 fools that, like, would have been would have been dead if they, if they weren't related to Carrie Fisher or, like, had, like, had the name, you know, like, had the name Finn or was Poe Dameron or anything like that. All of those fools would be dead. The resistance would have been snuffed out. The Empire could have won on this, but they decided to, to give Ray some fucking, like, caterpillar, like, boulder-moving powers at the very end and then, like, save everybody. The entire resistance fit in the Millennium Falcon, the mule. Come on, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't make any sense. So if you want me to keep on coming to these movies and then you're gonna, con- you're gonna create the environment where, like, I, I can understand why the resistance is still going, you know? And not just have one fucking kid that did a Fantasia 2000 move and had a broom come across the damn room. I'll watch that movie. <laughs> Otherwise, you got some work to do, fucking like Ryan Johnson and JJ Abrams. You got some fucking work to do, man. Yeah, well, I guarantee you, you're you're still gonna see Star Wars Nine uh, opening week, I'm sure. Yeah. But you, you know what? But. If they, if they find another base where there's a couple like tens of thousands of people who are like, yeah, fuck the Empire. Okay, I'm right there with you. But that didn't happen here. That yeah. did not happen here. You know, this this seemed like a, a like a an overly long extended scene that got cut from the Force Awakens. You know mm. what I'm saying? Like that's yeah. that's honestly just it. Yeah, and I guess that's a little frustrating because we're gonna have to 
Like they're gonna have to cover a lot of ground in episode nine if exactly. like, this is the fi- finale of the uh, finale of the trilogy, right? Like you're gonna have to show them developing, you know, the full resistance, and then, you know, uh, like I'm sure there's gonna be side journeys to steal some plans to blow this place up, and then there's yeah. gonna be like another like Daisy Ridley, you know, going to find herself and her and her, you know, her doing a fucking Sense Eight communication with. Uh, with Adam Driver, like, like, there's just gonna be so much going on and so many bases that you have to cover that it's like, oh man, like it's just gonna be another long movie. And you're right, they they could have just ended this movie with, hey, like, we got your message, we heard about what happened, we're gonna join you, boom, like, start the next movie with with all those people, like, and then and people can just make assumptions, right? That time has passed. They've built up this this new rebel alliance. They've got reinforcements, and they're launching this attack. Go, you know. But now, like like you said, they're gonna have to spend the first half of episode nine, you know, explaining how they come up with all these people that are willing to support them. Me personally, I I I think I think they're gonna try to expand it a little more beyond just an episode nine. And I don't know if I I haven't read anything about it yet but i don't think that these movies are i mean i, I don't want to be like i don't want to be a dick but i i don't think these movies are that hard to make this day and age you know you can pump these out but all they do, all they're essentially doing is capitalizing on this this anticipation on the build-up and quite frankly you know i this might sound kind of morbid but there are a lot of people that have waited their lifetime to see like a real conclusion to this to this universe right and like like how pissed would you be if like you know you're you're like you're old you've been waiting a long time to see what happened to luke and you were like given this like you were given this luke send-off like that's not a send-off that you can really identify with like you know it's just they didn't do Right, by the fans, especially the long-term fans, right? And we've touched on how you've basically thrown away the characters. And now that, you know, you've created all these problems and all this ground that the the, the Rebels have to make up, like, I feel like Episode Nine is just going to be like a rushed, like, Justice League-esque, like, kind of movie where you just... You just throw everybody together, like, nobody needs a backstory, and and then you go. All, like... All the major players of the new rebellion, you know, they aren't going to be explained. They're just going to be there. They're going to show up. They're going to say, we'll join you. And then that's it. And then they're going to defeat the Empire. And you'll be like, okay. like Yeah. And, and, but, I mean, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, before the next trilogy comes around, or before the next one in the primary trilogy comes around, make the fucking context, you know? Like, make characters yeah. that we care Set about and have them show up. Uh, I don't know if there's enough time before – between now and whenever the next movie is coming out that to, to build you, up you, like you kind of side stories sufficient. Right. One thing that, that I did also want to talk about and, you know, we're running out of time, but I, I did want to touch on this was, do you think they're going to visit any of the story arcs from the book? The, the theory that, uh, you know, Kylo Ren and uh, Ray are brother and sister, it exists partly because you know it it's it's easy to believe that 
because they have this connection, but also because of the books, right? Because you had the twins, Jason and Jaina, right? Exactly. Um, wow. Somebody and, else read the novels. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. And then you had young Anakin who died. I mean, I, I think out of the three solo kids, only one of them still – I think only Jaina solo is still alive. I think Jaina had to kill Jason. So – Yep, yep, mm-hmm. As a nod to the people, like you would think that, you know, after all this time, like there would be kind of a nod to the, to the, to the nerds that have, um, stayed with it, read the books, you know. but there, there really hasn't been yet. And, and I think, you know, I thought uh, Mara Jade would be involved, but exactly. that door has been yeah. shut because, I mean, because Luke's, Luke's dead. dead. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there, there are these very, very major characters that came into the Star Wars universe, but, they just weren't introduced in any form in the in these movies that I think, quite frankly, is really disappointing and kind of a uh, like kind of a letdown to all the all the fanboys out there who read the books because you know you want to be able to at least like throw them a bone and say you know kind of like thank you for like being a part of this this is you know finally you know after all this time you guys have been reading so much this is our interpretation of what you guys have been reading. But instead, like, yeah. you know, we, we don't get to see any of that. Like, I would have loved to see who Mara Jade was on screen. Oh, yeah. Right? How, yeah, absolutely. Like, how, you know, how great would it be to have that story arc? You know, Luke Luke Skywalker's romantic interest, right? When The Force Awakens, uh, Force Awakened came out, everybody wanted them to follow kind of like the canon, what had been established as, uh, the novel canon and the, the comic book canon that had already been in place. And none of that mattered, which was like crazy to me because you're saving money at that point. You know, this, this shit's been written already, you know, like it, it doesn't make any sense to, to throw away money that you, that is, is already yours essentially, you know? All right. Well, I think that just about takes it to uh, the end of this episode. Always a pleasure talking to you, Jeffrey Liu. Thank you for Good having times. me on. And uh, to all you listeners out there, thanks for tuning in. And please let us know if you have any thoughts on the movie or uh, additional topics that you would like us to discuss. We would be more than happy to cover them. This is the Wing Bang Podcast. This is Emil Wang. And this is Jeff Liu. Keep on banging. <laughs>